All right, take a seat. And we're going to go straight into Scripture right off the bat. We're going to talk from a little passage in John chapter 6. And let me set this up for you. At this point in the story, okay, so this is John's gospel, Jesus' best friend. Just ask him. He's happy to tell you. John is walking with Jesus, and he's watching Jesus do ministry. Jesus is traveling around, and the more he does, the more he speaks and preaches and heals, and, and more he does his ministry, more people are coming. So crowds are following Jesus. And they want to hear what he has to say because Jesus is saying mind-blowing things as he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, but he's also saying things that are controversial, that are rubbing people the wrong way and offending people. And this story is a case of that. Jesus in this story is telling this crowd, hey, I am the bread of life. It's only through me. I am the way. I am your way to salvation. I am your way to God. And he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life in me. Now, we know on the other side of the story that Jesus was not a cannibal. We know that he's pointing to his body broken and his blood shed for us. And he's saying, you have to, you have to come to me and take my grace and the sacrifice I made for you. I am going to pay for your sin so that you can have my righteousness. And it's only through my sacrifice that you can be in right standing with my father. And we know at the Last Supper that Jesus is gonna break bread and, and they're gonna drink wine. And he's gonna say to his disciples, hey, you guys love bread and wine. And now every time you do this together, do it in remembrance of me and what I'm about to go do for you. Everything in your life, every meal you have, center it on me and my sacrifice, my resurrected life. We know that. This crowd did not know that. And so people are hearing him say that and they're thinking, what the heck is this guy talking about? And we read in John chapter six, verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, his inner circle, his disciples, his core group. Simon Peter answered him. Simon Peter, always the first to speak and normally gets it wrong, but here he gets it right. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So we can see with this crowd, as human beings, we tend to walk away from what we don't understand, right? And so many people just start leaving him, walk away because they don't understand. But here's what the disciples are starting to get. The invitation was never to understand God, it was to know him. You can never fully understand the God who made you, but Jesus comes to show us that you can know him personally. And Peter's going, where else am I gonna go now, dude? You have the words of life. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. And so, yeah, sometimes you say some things that we all kind of collectively think like, there has got to be a better way to say that. And maybe we'll circle back to the flesh and blood thing. Maybe we don't need to. But Jesus, where are we going to go? Where else are we going to go than be with you? The right answer. And I want to ask that question today, pose this to all of us, the title of this message, to where will you go? When life gets hard, when stuff hits the fan, when pain is devastating, when Jesus starts to go beyond the narrative of what you think he should fit into, when he's now getting in your business and maybe offends you or says some things and, and tells you to do some things or live in a way that you're like, I don't know if I like this anymore. When life doesn't make sense, when you can't understand the God who made you, so where will you go? And we're in church, so we all know the right answer is to Jesus. I'm still gonna just run to him, right? That's the right answer. But as we'll see through the disciples and I think in our own lives, we are so prone to know exactly what to do and where to go, but to run in all kinds of different directions and then end up down roads like, how did I get here? 
I've done that in my faith so many times where things have gotten hard or I've, I've had questions that I haven't had answers to and I'll, I'll, instead of running to Jesus, just run other places and, and find myself a few weeks later like, how am I here right now in this state of mind, feeling this way, living this way? How have I gotten here? I do that in my faith. I also just do that in regular life with normal things that I just, I know what I should do, I know how to address something, but I'll find myself going in a different direction and end up being like, how did I get here? How is this the way that I went about it? Which brings me to the parable of my Jeep Compass Fuse. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I got this little notification on my dash that said, no fuse. I don't know a lot about cars, as you'll find out today, but I saw that and was like, that's probably not good. But my car's still driving, so I'm just gonna keep driving. And then it was happening intermittently and then became more like there's just always no fuse, whatever that means. And the only thing I could figure out is when it said no fuse, my power locks and my stereo didn't work. Now, had it just been my power locks, I probably wouldn't have even thought twice about it. I like my car, my car is fine, but I don't love my car. I don't have like that relationship where my car is my baby. It's just a car and I'm grateful I have it. Uh, it's it's kind of had a, a tough life and I'm driving it into the ground. The car was stolen years ago and then I got it. I did not steal it. I'm <laughs> clarifying that all day today. It was stolen and the insurance company, it was turned over to insurance, it was mechanically fine, so they gave it to a secondhand dealer who sold it to me at a very good price because it had been stolen. So I've been driving this car for a while. At this point, it kind of sounds like there's a Demogorgon living in the bottom under me when I accelerate. I get that knocking sound by my glove compartment. Some of you know that sound. There's hail damage, cracked windshield because my wife was driving it and got caught in a hailstorm. It's not her fault. She didn't make the hail happen. <laughs> Thanks, God. This hailstorm happens and uh, my insurance company said, well, um, who was driving the car? I said, my wife. And then the lady was like, well, we can't cover that because she's excluded on your policy. So that's what I get for being honest. So my car's just, you know, driving it into the ground. And if it got stolen at this point because the power locks didn't work, I just assume that this car's just meant to be a stolen car and I've been holding it back from its destiny. So, <laughs> so be it. The problem was that my stereo was not working. And I'm a drive to my music person. I turn that music up loud. You can ask my wife. She's terrified depending on who I'm listening to when I'm driving in the car. My son, on the other hand, he enjoys driving in the car with me to music. His favorite band to listen to in the car is Journey. And my theory is because when Journey's on, I'm rolling the windows down, I'm singing along to the beautiful voice of Steve Perry, and we're cruising, and my son's obsessed with Lightning McQueen, so I figure I probably drive a little more like Lightning when Journey's on, so he's in the back with an adrenaline rush, like, let's go, Dad. I'm a drive to my music person. Anybody else fun, enjoy life out there, yeah? Good. Um, so because I couldn't listen to music in my car, I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to deal with this at some point. At some point, I'm gonna have to address this situation. So I'm driving for a while and finally I just do what you do as a guy who doesn't know a lot about cars. I just said, I'll fix it, no problem. Don't even really know where the fuses are. Pop my hood, look at the engine and various other things in there. I'm just like, okay. Get my phone out, Google, where are fuses in a car? Turns out they can be in different places because all cars are made differently and that's free, you guys now know that. Where are fuses in a Jeep Compass? I find the box, I open it up, but I'm like, 
There's a lot more in here than I expected. Nothing looks blown up or missing. So I don't really know. So I just kind of like patted them and put the cover back on and just started my car. And surprisingly, still no fuse. Didn't fix it. And I was frustrated because I'm like, oh, I can't do this myself. And that would be way more convenient. So I'd like to do this my way, but I guess I can't. So I just kept driving for a couple more months. At this point, it's permanent. No fuse. And one day I park, and right next to where I am, there's an advanced auto parts. I'm like, well, this is perfect. Thank you, God. Today's going to be the day. I'm going to fix my car. But I walk into advanced auto parts and quickly realize, well, this is the wrong place. Because they have stuff for cars, but these are, this isn't where they fix your car. There's not mechanics in here, as I found out. Because I walked in knowing immediately I have no idea where to look or what to buy. But I still just wandered around the store for a while like, coolant, yes, got to have it, Austin, right? Oh, here's all the various types of oil, each individually unique. You need that for your car, I know that. Wandering around, finally a person from the store comes over like, hey, can I help you find something? And I said, yeah, yeah, the fuses, I'm looking for the fuses, must be in a different place than the store I normally go to. Where are those at? We walk over to the fuse wall, and I had been hoping there would just be one that's like Jeeps, stereo, and power locks. Surprisingly, there was it. Just a bunch of random fuses that I have no idea what to buy or do, and so I just stood there and just stared at them. And then the person was like, can I help you find a specific thing? And I said, yeah, I drive a Jeep Compass. Don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of the lamest Jeep in the family. I don't wave to other Jeeps on the road. I just, <laughs> just do my thing. It's like the JV kid trying to walk with the varsity team in the hallway. It's like, you're not really one of us. Just, just do your thing. Anyone else drive a Jeep Compass? Same response at the 830, yeah. <laughs> and I tell the person, like, oh, this is what's happening. Do you know the right fuse for a Jeep Compass? That's the stereo and the power locks aren't working. And they look at me like, what? It's like the most specific question you could ask me. They're like, no, I'm sorry, I can't really help you. You should probably go to like a Jeep dealership and they'll know what to do. I'm like, oh, fine. This was the wrong place. Walk out. I'm like, well, I'm not going to the Jeep dealership because that's a whole other trip and a whole other day. And I'm going to get there and they're going to say, we can, we can look at it, but as soon as we touch your car, it's going to be $3,500. So I'm like, forget it. So I just kept driving for a year, a year with no fuse, blasting journey through my phone speaker in my car, which is very hard to hear on 35. And it bothered me the entire time for a year and a half. I love listening to music. I'm like, gosh, this is the worst. I got to get this fixed at some point, but I can't figure it out. And the person at Advanced Auto Parts was no help. So then I'm getting my oil changed because I don't know how to do that either. And I asked the, you know, you go there and you just feel like so inferior, all these like guys that are covered in grease and they're cool. And I'm like, hey, you guys know about fuses? Got an issue, power lock kind of thing, stereo, Jeep Compass. They're like, we just do oil changes, man. Why don't you go to the Jeep dealership? Because <laughs> they'll know what to do. So that day I said, fine. I've heard enough. It's been a year and a half. I'm just going to drive to the Jeep dealership. You can understand that's a difficult journey for me to make. The closest Jeep dealership is a mile and a half from this building that I work at most days a week. <laughs> I've driven by it for a year and a half, literally. So I make the pilgrimage. Today's going to be my day of salvation. Go to the front desk of the service place. I explain it to the lady, and she says, you'll need to make an appointment. And I was like, yeah, I don't have time to do that. Uh, I think this is like a five-minute thing. I just need a, just somebody who knows about Jeeps that can just come look at it, tell me which fuse to go by, figure it out from there. And she's like, going to have to make an appointment. I'm like, well, so I don't do that. I didn't make an appointment. I was just like, ah, okay, I'll find another way. 
But I turn around. Yeah, some of you are so frustrated right now. That's good. Should be. I'm as mad as you are. I turn around and there's a guy standing there and he has this look on his face like, I know he's just listened to my whole conversation. He's eavesdropped. And he has this look like just waiting to be asked to be included. So I walk up, I'm like, hey, do you work here? He's like, yeah, I do. Not really working on the cars right now, but uh, heard you're having a fuse problem. Like, sure am. And he, he like motions me over away from the appointment rules legalistic lady and he's like, come here. <laughs> we get to the door where we're about to walk out and he shows me his phone and he goes, search this on YouTube. And it's like an exact thing with the name of a specific fuse that I would never, never know. I'm like, okay. So I look down and start typing in my phone and look up and he's vanished. He's been taken back up into heaven. <laughs> and uh, I walk out to my car and in the minute walk to my car, I watch a minute of this video. I pop my hood, I open my fuse box. I see the one this guy's talking about. It's completely loose. So I just push it down, it clicks, the greatest click of my life. And I hit my little lock button and doot, doot. I'm like, are we back? <laughs> Start the card, crank the volume. Don't stop believing, baby. <laughs> We're back. And I've been listening to music and cherishing it ever since that day. <laughs> so invite your friends to Easter. Let's pray. <laughs> Why do I tell you this long-winded story about a meaningless thing in my car? I, as a pastor, you always, things just happen in your life, and you're always like, how do I turn this into a sermon story? That's just our life. Super fun. Very cool, guys. Uh, I was thinking through it, and I'm like, it took me a year and a half to do what I knew what to do oh, the whole time. I found all these other avenues to go, rather than just going to the place where they know about Jeeps. If you want to know about Jeeps and how to fix a Jeep, go to the place that makes Jeeps and works on Jeeps and knows Jeeps. If you want to know about life and how to live your life, go to the one who created it. Go to the author of life. Run to Jesus. I know that, but how many times in my life I go, I'll just do this my way. I'll figure it out. Or I show up at the wrong place and linger there for a while where the solution is not. Or I'll just avoid the whole thing completely. Just not even gonna think about this. Out of sight, out of mind. Bury my head in the sin. And I think we do that when it comes to our faith and I see the disciples do that. To where will you go when things get real for them? When Jesus has that last supper and he says, this is about to go down, and Peter's like, I'm never leaving your side. And they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus prays this famous, Father, not my will but yours. He walks out and then he gets arrested and things get real. And we will find that the disciples all find places to go away from Jesus. So I wanna read to you from Mark chapter 15. Jesus is walking out of the garden. It says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near, Peter, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. We just get this little Easter egg at the end of the story that John Mark's just streaking through Jerusalem that night. 
He was referring to himself and saying, I tried to run too with everybody else and they grabbed my cloak and so I just was Frank from old school, running through the streets of Jerusalem. Too young of a crowd to know old school, okay. <laughs> Jeez. So in this, we see these guys all start to go in different directions and find other places to go. Peter is the first one that just starts to go into, I'm gonna do this my way now. This is where we go. We tend to go right away. When things don't make sense, when they stretch beyond our narrative, when things get rough, we'll go, I'm gonna do this my way now. We go our way. I'm gonna seize back control from you, God, because this doesn't work for me anymore. This is out of my scope. This is outside of my narrative, and so I'm gonna start doing things my way. Peter immediately is like, we gotta fight, and cuts the guy's ear off, right? And Jesus, you can hear in John's gospel, John throws Peter under the bus and says, it was Peter that did this, and Jesus puts the guy's ear back on his head, and he goes, Peter, we're not gonna do this your way. You gotta trust me. We're gonna do this my way. But Peter can't. He follows Jesus at a distance, and he's asked three times, hey, you know that guy. You're gonna stick with him, right? You were the one that said, to where will we go? No, I've never heard of him. Peter starts to do things his way. He seizes back control. And this is human nature, right? The second that I realize I've gotta do something about this issue in my car, my first reaction, I'll fix it. I don't know about cars. I don't know where the fuses are, but I'll figure this out. I can just do it myself. And we do this about life all the time. And it's, it's pride sometimes that wells up and it's like, I just know better than you now, God. I'm gonna create my own faith. I'm gonna pick and choose the things I like from you and like about you. But I'm gonna do this my way. Jesus, don't get in my business. Don't tell me what to do in my life. Don't speak into my life. I'm gonna do this my way. Self-control, self-preservation. It's me against the world. That's where Peter goes. Or maybe it's things are too painful. Forget this. I can't, I can't go with you anymore, God. I'm just gonna have to do this alone from here. And maybe justifiably so. And it's human nature, but the, the solution every time things get harder, every time it's easy to seize back control is always surrender. It's always to say, hey, the invitation was never to understand you, it was to know you. I'm not gonna run from you because I don't understand right now, I'm gonna run to you because you do understand what I don't. So Peter is an example of how we go our way. It's gonna be my way now. The next place I think we go is the wrong way. I walked into advanced auto parts and I, after a little while, I'm like, this is the wrong place. But I lingered there and hung out knowing the solution's not here. I'm not gonna figure this out here. The answer is not in this place. But we go to wrong places all the time and, and set up shop and camp out and we look for solutions and we look for salvation that just aren't there. And I know it's hard to transition from advanced auto parts to Judas, but I wanna talk about him for a second. And I know that he's, it's easy to think of Judas either as like the butt of jokes or he's the villain of the Bible, but he was just a broken human being who went the wrong way. And we know the initial part of that, that it was his greed that led him to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But his story actually doesn't end in that moment when he betrays Jesus. It's easy to breeze past that when you read the Gospels because all the action's happening. But we actually hear the tragic end of Judas's story. Matthew 27, starting in verse three. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. 
What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Incredibly dark, incredibly tragic. And when I think about Judas, my heart breaks because he actually felt remorse. He actually wanted to make things right, but he went to the wrong place. He went to religion, which will always tell you this is your responsibility. You messed up, it's your job to make your way to God. You've gotta pay for your debt. You've gotta do enough good things. You've gotta make this right. You've gotta go figure out how to get back to a perfect God as an imperfect person. This is your responsibility. This is on you. And I'm not here to battle about different world religions. Wherever people are at in, in a religious context, that's the, the burden on their shoulders their whole lives. This is your responsibility. Whether it's a God or multiple gods that you believe in, it's up to you to get to them. This is your responsibility. And the tragic part of this is while Judas is met with these cruel religious leaders who say that to him, Jesus is walking up a hill with a cross on his back saying, your responsibility is now my responsibility. Everything you've done, everything you could never make up for or pay for, I'm going to pay for that. I'm gonna go pay for you. This is my responsibility now. And we do this as human beings, whether it's religion, politics, money, we look out to the world looking for the solution, looking for salvation, and we just go to the wrong places that will continually tell us it's all on you, it's your responsibility, you've gotta figure it out. All the while Jesus is saying, run to me. Your responsibility is now my responsibility. The last place that I think that we run to instead of Jesus is that we just, we just go away. We may go our way, we may go the wrong way, the world's way, but eventually we may just go away from the whole thing altogether. Mark chapter 15, verse 50, we read this, then everyone deserted him and fled. All these guys that said, Jesus, we've got you, we're with you to the end, just went away. Things got too tough. Things didn't make sense anymore. So they just ran away. I think of them like in their homes that weekend knowing Jesus has been arrested. This is not good for him. I'm just gonna bury my head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. And I think that's human nature. I see that all around me. I think it's telling that the majority of this group actually just go away from the whole thing. We've got a guy who's doing it his way. We've got a guy who's doing it the wrong way. We've got a bunch of guys who just go away. And I see that all around us. Whether it's distraction, just ignore the whole thing, just get busy in life. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's this feeling of like, I just can't go to him because of what's happened, so I'm just gonna go away and stay away. And the, the, the really sad thing about this, this mindset, is that it will lead us further and further away in our minds, but what our soul is saying the whole time is, I need a savior. There's gotta be more than this. There's something beyond this. I can't do this myself. The world's not working. All these places I'm looking for, for healing, for salvation, for freedom, I'm not finding it. And that's because scripture says that God has written eternity on the hearts of men. Your soul is craving its savior. But we just tend to like ostriches, just stick our heads in the sand and just avoid the whole thing altogether drive our car for a year and a half without music, just avoid it. I'm not gonna deal with it. 
And I do that so much in my life with so many things, and so often I find myself feeling far from Jesus because I've just walked away from the whole thing. So we've got one guy who went to try to do it himself. I'm gonna do this my way. We've got one guy who went to the wrong place. We've got nine guys who avoided the whole thing. And then there's John, who is happy to tell you in his gospel that he was the one who went to the cross. He walked all the way there, and it's beautiful. John was there, standing below Jesus, seeing, taking in the reality that his body was broken and his blood was shed. But nobody was at the tomb. Nobody was sitting there when Jesus walked out going, I knew you'd walk out of there. I knew that death has no hold on you. You called your shot and you conquered death and we're ready to keep going. No, their human nature led them away in all these various avenues. And so today, what I hope you don't hear is you're just like the disciples and it's your fault that Jesus got killed. Great job. Because here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He walks out of that tomb and he goes and finds those guys. And he doesn't show up and go, great job, worst friends ever. <laughs> Forget you guys. Have you guys. Have you guys met Greg, my new friend? <laughs> He's awesome. He's with me till the end. Where else will Greg go? Just with me. Peter, where are you going? To go do things your way. How'd that go, buddy? No, Jesus goes and seeks them out and he invites them right back in. He says, you are at your lowest points right now and you've realized doing this your way, going the wrong way, staying away from this whole thing, it just doesn't work. It's not gonna work for you. So here's my invitation. Run to me right now. In your lowest moment, run to me and keep running to me. And now what I want you to do is go grab the hands of everybody else around you, every city I take you to, and you grab those people and you say, we're running to Jesus together. You're coming with me. That's the invitation of Jesus and that's what he wants for you. And I love getting to watch this happen in people's lives. I've been watching this happen in a friend, new friend of mine in this church. Um, Jesus is just after him in the best way. His name's Zach. He came here in January for the first time and he sent an email into us that basically said, hey, I'm a philosophy grad student. I showed up to your church. I'm not a church guy, but I have some questions about God and faith. I'd love to meet with somebody Maybe I can just meet with whoever that guy was that was talking that week. And I had been preaching that week, and so I got connected to him, and we set up to meet. And I'll be honest with you, going into that meeting, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this guy's gonna school me. <laughs> Philosophy grad student. I don't even know where the fuses are in my car. <laughs> He's gonna have all kinds of questions that I don't know the answers to. And I felt God prompt me right then, hey, the invitation was never to understand me, it was to know me. And you know me, so introduce him to me. It's like, okay, pressure's off, I'm just gonna sit and talk with him. Turns out he's like the nicest, most humble, amazing guy. And we sat there and he just said, I, I've, I've been to church sporadically a few times in my life. I've never really considered that there's actually a God who's like personal and wants to know me and wants a relationship with me, but I showed up to your church and something just struck in me. And I'm curious about this. So we started talking, having this amazing conversation, and I gave him like a quick overview of here's the story of God and the Bible and kind of what we know, and here's Jesus and where he comes into the picture, and he's laid his life down for you, and he rose from the grave so you can have eternal life with him. We talked through that stuff, and so I turn it back to him and just say like, well, right now in your life, like what would you say you believe? Like where are you at with this whole thing, with faith? 
He said, well, I don't really know, um, but I do pray. And I said, well, that's really interesting. That's not what I expected you to say. Tell me about that. He said, well, there's just times where I just get down on my knees and it's an emotional experience and I just start talking. Just what's going on in my life, what I'm struggling with, people in my life. I said, well, who are you talking to? He said, oh, I don't know. I'm not totally sure. And I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. And I love when I get to talk to people who don't speak Christianese and I'm like, that's prayer. You got it. You just talk to God. But he said, I'm not really sure. I know there's something out there. I just don't know who or what. And this light bulb went off in my head of this story, this very specific story in the book of Acts chapter 17. And so I said, hey, Zach, if you don't mind, I'm gonna just read you this story. Let me get to it. And I'm explaining to him at this point in the story, Jesus has risen from the grave and he's ascended back to heaven. He's handed the church off to this ragtag, imperfect group of people. And they're now spreading the gospel like wildfire in the face of Roman persecution, but they, Romans can't stop it. And everybody's hearing about Jesus and you'll hear names like Peter and Paul and they're preaching the good news, which is what gospel means. And, and this is a story where this guy is doing that. And he goes, oh, that's actually really interesting. That's cool. I was in Greece this past summer in Athens at this place. What was it called? He's like, I was on a site tour. It's like Aeropagus or some word I don't know how to pronounce. And I think one of those guys spoke there. I think they told us that a Bible guy like spoke there during our tour. And I looked up from my Bible and I said, did you say Athens? He said, yeah. I said, Aeropagus? Yeah. I said, Zach, that's the exact story I just turned to right where you were. And then I just got a big smile on my face because I'm like, God's just loading up the Pro V1 on the T and I'm just. <laughs> I said, let me read this to you. Here's what's happening, Zach. Paul is talking to a bunch of philosophers just like you. So Paul, standing in the midst of Aeropagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Paul says, even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent or turn to him because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I said, Zach, you've been just like the men of Athens calling out to an unknown God. You know there's something out there. And just like Paul, you walked into this office today to hear that, that this God is not far from you and you're seeking him. You're feeling your way and you're finding him and his name is Jesus. And he loves you so much that he took you to Greece, to a specific site, so that he could then have a story resonate and click with you to tell you, hey, you don't have to nebulously live this life anymore, wondering what's out there, wondering if you're in right standing or if this God will have mercy on you or cares about you or even cares that you exist. Jesus has made it abundantly clear 
and he's made it clear through his resurrection and he has resurrection life for you, Zach. And I know in this culture that's so noncommittal and, and we like to do things our way and make our own faith that it feels easier to just stay loose with it and just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna you know, be positive and just put some good vibes out there and hope that whatever's going on ends up good for me. I'm like, no, dude, that, that's, you put your head on your pillow at night with that mentality and it just feels kind of like, this is nothing. I don't really know what I believe and I'm not anchored to anything. I have no foundation and God doesn't want you to put your head on your pillow at night wondering, who is he? Where is he? Is he real? He's made himself clear to you and his name is Jesus. And you don't have to keep doing this your way anymore, trying to figure this out on your own. You don't have to keep running to the wrong places that don't have the answers for you. He told me, he's like, philosophy, it's great, but it's kind of frustrating me because I have questions that just lead to more questions, but nobody's got an answer for me. And I said, well, now you have the answer. Now you have the answer. And you don't have to stay away from him because you might feel ashamed of things in your life. You don't have to be distracted and avoid this whole thing and go away from him. You get to just run right to him just as you are, because you are his offspring, and he loves you. And we sat there in silence for a little bit, just kind of looking at each other. And then he broke the silence and he just said, well, I guess it would be kind of hard to explain this whole thing as a coincidence. I said, Zach, God's got a warrant out for you in the best way possible. He's coming for you. And as you seek him and feel your way, you are finding him. The next time we met, we're talking, and he's, he's like, yeah, I'm reading my philosophy stuff for school and all, but I keep wanting to read the Bible. I'm reading the Gospels, and it's like this Jesus guy, like, he's so compelling, and I've never heard this story, and it's incredible, and, and I'm even thinking about maybe getting baptized. When did you guys say that was? And I said, oh, it's on May 22nd. He said, well, that's my birthday. <laughs> I said, of course it is. Of course it's your birthday. Because God doesn't just wanna save you, Zach. He's got a plan for your life. You are a brilliant mind and he's gonna use you in the world of philosophy for people that don't have answers and you've got one. And I want those moments, I want that for you wherever you are in your life to run to Jesus. Because you know what I said when I drove out of the Jeep dealership? Well, I wish I'd done that a long time ago. Could have been listening to music for the past year and a half. We say that so much in our lives. I wish I'd done that a long time ago. I wish I had asked for forgiveness a long time ago. I wish I had forgiven that person a long time ago. I wish I would have humbled myself a long time ago. I wish I would have gone to counseling a long time ago. Wish I would have gone to rehab a long time ago. Wish I would have had that honest conversation a long time ago. I wish I would have told my spouse right in that moment, I love you. We're not gonna drift away. We're not gonna do this our way. We're gonna stand on the foundation of Jesus and we're gonna keep journeying together because we're a team here. I wish I'd had that conversation a long time ago. I wish I would've told my kids how I feel a long time ago. I would've called the people in my life and told them about Jesus and what he's doing in my life a long time ago. Wish I would've invited that friend a long time ago. The invitation of Jesus is to say, no, today. Run to me today. Because you wanna put your head on your pillow at night and you want peace and joy and patience and fulfillment the love of Jesus in your life, that's for today. You don't need to look back in a decade or 30 years from now, gosh, I wish I had just gone to Jesus a long time ago. Could have been listening to music. Could have been driving with my windows down. And so my invitation to you is to run to Jesus. My wife put it so simply this week when we were talking through this, she said, yeah, it's kind of like as human beings, well, Something will get real, life will get hard, things will come up and our first reactions are like, I'll just look in. I'm just gonna figure this out myself or we'll look out to the world that doesn't have the solutions that we need or we'll just put our heads down and avoid it or maybe feel shame and so we just are looking down but the invitation all along is just to look up, to always just look back to Jesus 
who walked out of a tomb and said, hey, I'm not done with you guys. I got a plan for you. And as you run to me, there's a lot of people in your life, I want you to grab their hands and start having them run with you. And so if you guys would stand to your feet, I wanna challenge you. For some of you, that invitation for Easter is just for you. Just come back. Keep coming back to Jesus. You may feel like you're on this collision course and you had no intention of faith in Jesus, but you've got a warrant. He's coming for you because he loves you. So come back, keep hearing the gospel, keep experiencing God. Scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. You could do that right now. You could go pray with somebody in the back for prayer. We're gonna have a bundle for you next week on Easter if you're new to faith, so you can walk out of here with some tools to follow Jesus. For some of you, maybe today was a realization that I ran to Jesus a long time ago and I know what I'm supposed to do, but I haven't been running to him. And you're not met with this condemnation of Jesus saying, well, way to go, you're the worst friend ever. You're met with a Jesus who says, come on, run back to me, let's go. We're going in this direction now. I've got the way for you because I am the way. You wanna know how Jeeps work? You go to Jeep. You wanna know how life works? Run to Jesus. And I wanna challenge you as we worship and as we pray to, to ask God who in your life who in your life do you invite into this conversation? Do you invite to a church service or to coffee? Because the question is, where will they go? To where will they go? The people you love in your life when things get real, when they have all the big questions, when they're struggling, where will they go? You're probably watching people around you that are just trying to do everything on their own. It's not working. You're watching people who have only been met with. That's your responsibility. Religion, who are looking to the wrong places for salvation that's not there and it's crushing them or people who are just distracted or feel shame that are just away from the whole thing, avoiding it altogether. And I believe that God's saying, hey, a simple invitation. You don't have, have, have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand me fully, you know me. So introduce them to me. So Jesus, I pray for my family. Would you move in us? Would you draw your people to you? Those that have never run to you, Jesus, would this be the moment in their life, the time in their life that they do that? As we celebrate Easter this coming week, God, would we run to you and know that you walked out of a tomb to breathe resurrected life into all of us, and that's not for one day, that is for today. I pray for those that feel guilt or shame or condemnation because they haven't been running to you today, that that would be lifted off of them and they would simply hear an invitation of a loving father that's saying, run to me. And I, I pray each of these cards represents a person, someone who's trying to figure this out, do this their way, do this the wrong way, just staying away from you altogether for whatever reason, would we be so bold as to invite people? Would you give us the strength and the courage to invite people to hear of the story of Jesus, of your death and your resurrection, what it means for us? And we pray ahead of time for so many people that will come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.